Good morning, everyone, and welcome to First Presbyterian Church. We are glad that you are here with us. We have a number of announcements uh, that we need uh, that I need to call to your attention. First, being that the ladies in the church are invited to a bridal tea honoring Miss Landis Llewellyn today from two to four in the church choir room, which is immediately behind us. Uh, also, Operation Christmas Child still have a number of boxes out. The, the basic idea is you take a box, the instructions are in the pamphlet, inside the box, you fill it. Uh, these boxes are then sent overseas to areas where children uh, are less fortunate and they serve as Christmas presents for children all around the globe. So I'd encourage you, if you haven't taken a box to pack, please do so. Also, Pastor Matt uh, is packing boxes with the youth tonight. So uh, if you would like to give toward, I think it's $10 shipping for each box, if you'd like to give toward that, you can... Uh, write a check, put it in the offering plate, if not this week, next week, and just tag it as Operation Christmas Child, and that would be fine as well. Um, two other things, one being uh, for, for those Protestants who honor aspects of the church, the traditional church calendar, today would be All Saints Sunday, uh, which is basically like the Christian Memorial Day for Protestants, where we remember those Christians who have gone before us uh, as Hebrews 11 says, that cloud of witnesses who have served to point us to Jesus in our lives. Uh, in honor of that, we will, uh, our call to worship, we'll acknowledge it, and our opening hymn will be for all the saints. And then lastly, you're going to notice we've made a couple changes to our order of worship. We have not changed anything in terms of taking anything out or putting anything new in. It's just a slightly different order. So, for instance, as we give our tithes and offerings... The choir will sing the anthem during that time. Also, our doxology, you'll notice we will not do this every week. It will just be from time to time to give us some variety. We'll sing the last stanza of All Creatures of Our God and King, which is a doxology because it's a song of praise to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. So everything I think will be, be pretty obvious. Just want you to be aware if you notice that something's a little different. We've just slightly changed the order after the uh, Lord's Prayer. And the, the main purpose of this was uh, congregational feedback that the we wanted the choir to be in the loft for the second hymn because that helps us. Uh, choirs are important, going all the way to the book of Psalms. David wrote many psalms for the choir director to teach his choir. And so the choir will be up for the second hymn to assist us and lead us in worship. Uh, that's all I have for now by way of announcement. So with that, let's take a few moments to prepare our hearts to worship the living and true God. Good morning. Uh, if you came into this church and you looked up to the sound booth, you'd see that the clock on the, near the ceiling is a little bit crooked this morning, which I think is just a great example of how we come to worship, but we bring all of our, uh, our mess with us. We bring all the things we're worried about. We bring all the things that we're anxious about. 
And so we come into this place and we are called by God to worship him. We bring everything that we are, and yet he is the one who calls us in all of our mess and our uh, crookedness, as we can see that clock up on the wall. So would you please stand for the call to worship from Psalm 116. This is God's word. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Would you please pray with me before we begin singing? God, we are in your midst. You have brought us here. You have called us to worship you this morning. So we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be present uh, in a way in which you would fill this place, that you would fill our hearts, that you would fill us to overflowing, so that what we speak, what we pray, what we sing would be out of the overflow of our hearts to you. Your blessings truly are more than we can ever recount. So God, as we remember those blessings, as we look to you, would you encourage us and challenge us this morning and lead us uh, in your presence? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our first hymn is For All the Saints, which is hymn 358, which hymn 358. Let's stand and sing together.
You may be seated. I invite you to look in your bulletins and you'll find the Apostles' Creed, which is the confession of faith for us this morning. And I would ask um, if you believe and trust in Christ that you would confess this with me. So, believer, what is it that you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. We have a few moments now for us to go before God in prayer. I'd like to lead us in that prayer, and then we'll pray the Lord's Prayer together at the conclusion. So would you pray with me? Dear Father, we are here this morning, and you invite us to come into your presence like little children, like children who know with certainty that when they ask their parents for something that they need, that they will actually get it. Whether it be clothing or food or comfort or knowledge or wisdom, all these things you give to your children freely and without lack. So we pray that you would give us faith, even faith as small as a mustard seed, so that as we trust and hold on to you, we can know that you're holding on to us with invincible strength. Dear Father, in your word, you tell us that all, that we, must, all, all we must do to be saved by you, to be called a child of God, is to believe in you, to have faith. We don't need to worry if we're loved by you, or saved by you. We don't need to recommit our lives every time we sin or be baptized several times. We can walk in confidence that we are your children that you forgive us of all our sin, and that you will always be drawing near to us. So Lord, we pray if there is anyone in this church who struggles to know with certainty that they are your child, forgiven by the blood of Jesus, we pray that you would give them this certainty, this assurance. Lord, you may not give this certainty to all of your children, and that's okay. We may feel that we aren't loved by you or known by you, but here we rest in your word that says, whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. You've declared us not guilty, forgiven of sin, and righteous in your sight, all through faith in Christ. Like little children, Father, we come to you for all that we need and want this morning. Because you, Jesus, have made it possible for us to come into God's presence without fear. Lord, as we think about All Saints Day, we remember all those who have gone before us, who have pointed us to Christ, who have given us wisdom, who have helped us, encouraged us, and who have died in you. We thank you for their lives. God, we continue to pray for Keith Cravens, that you would heal him, that you would make his body strong, that you would help him get back to health, that you would continue to bring improvement for him. God, we pray for uh, the work at the new home for the Cross family. There are so many moving parts, so many teams involved. Lord, we pray um, through whatever miraculous means you would have uh, that you would complete that work so that they would be able to move in uh, soon and enjoy that place. God, we pray for uh, Susan Gordon, that you would give her healing as well, and that you would help the doctors understand what is going on and able to treat her well. Lord, as we have uh, been given a great mission, a great commission by you, our church has been gifted with people and resources to go to other countries to provide health services, to preach the gospel, to care for those in need. And so we pray that you would bring all things needed uh, together for the trip that is coming up in July of 2024. Uh, for that medical team, Lord, would you bring the people, the, the money, the resources, all that's needed for that trip to be 
um, successful in you. God, as we continue to this worship service, Lord, we come to you as needy, broken people. So would you help us? Would you have compassion on us and lead us by your spirit? We pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. And we now ask you to lead us in the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I invite you now to stand for our next hymn, which is hymn 297. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let's stand and sing hymn 297.
You may be seated. As you get seated, we'll take up our morning offering. As you have been blessed in Christ, through Christ, uh, we give back. So please take this time um, to give to the Lord for his kingdom's sake. Pray with me. God, you have given us so much, and yet you continue to give, and you will always give to your children. So, Lord, we pray as you give to us, would you give us hearts that are eager to give away, to give our money, and to give our time, to give our things uh, for the sake of your kingdom, for the sake of those around us, for our neighbors who are in need, uh, for those things that you would have us do across the world. God, you are doing amazing things through us, your people. We continue, pray that you would continue to do that. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated.
I'd invite you to turn with me now to the 14th chapter of the book of Genesis. As we continue to work our way through this book, we will uh, continue in Genesis through the end of the month before we get into December and Advent season and begin to focus specifically on the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Before I read from this chapter, let me pray for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace to us this morning. Your steadfast love endures forever. Your faithfulness is to a thousand generations for those who love you. And we thank you that you've changed our hearts, that we might love you. Lord, would you use this time now to fan the flame of the gift of God that's been put in us through your Holy Spirit, that we might trust you more, that we might love you more, that we might desire above all things to glorify and enjoy you forever. Make this word come alive to us now, that we might know that we have heard from you on this day. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to read verses 16 through 24 of Genesis 14. Hear God's word beginning in verse 16. Then he, that's Abram, brought back all the possessions and also brought back his kinsman Lot with his possessions and the women and the people. After his return from the defeat of Kedor Laomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shaveh, that is, the king's valley. And Melchizedek, King of Salem brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed Abram and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons but take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord God, most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. Let Aner, Eskal, and Mamre take their share. And this ends the reading of God's Word. So Presbyterians have some interesting rules, a number of interesting rules, but there's a couple that are particularly relevant for our passage today. There are two things that only ordained ministers can do, and they are to administer the sacraments and to pronounce the benediction. And the reason behind this is that ministers are called by God and ordained by presbyteries as representatives of Jesus Christ. Now that doesn't mean that a minister's life will always look like Jesus Christ. Mine doesn't. I am content to look like someone who needs Jesus because I know I'll never fully look like Jesus until I'm in heaven or He returns. But it does mean that the church recognizes that a minister looks the most like Jesus when he's pouring water over someone's head, symbolizing the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Or when he's offering the bread and the cup, the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ to Jesus' people. And when he's lifting his hands to pronounce God's blessing upon his people. That's when he looks the most like Jesus. And we get to see Melchizedek doing both of these things in our passage. Bringing bread and wine to Abram and blessing Abram in the name of God most high as God's representative. Hebrews 7.3, Hebrews has a lot to say about Melchizedek. He's a very mysterious figure But Hebrews 7.3 says, Melchizedek resembles the Son of God. He resembles Jesus, well, because he's a king and he's a priest, 
all at the same time, which we're going to, you would, you'll see in the book of Exodus and through the Levitical law uh, that that's going to change, that Levites are going to be the priests, and only men from the tribe of Judah are going to be kings. But in Jesus, like in Melchizedek, you get a king and a priest in one person. But also, Melchizedek resembles Jesus because as God's representatives, representative, he's pronouncing God's blessing on Abram. Blessing is a major theme in the book of Genesis. After God declares a curse on creation in Genesis 3, the words bless, blessed, blessing are used over 70 times throughout the rest of book, the book of Genesis because it's as if mankind now knowing that it lies under the curse of sin needs to be reminded, needs to be told, needs to be persuaded over and over again by God that our sin can be overcome, that the curse can be overcome, that God's people are blessed and he wants them to know this. Like, why do we do the benediction in church every week? Maybe you've thought to ask that, maybe you haven't. Why do we end the service with a minister pronouncing God's blessing upon his people? The best answer I know to that is because, A, that's why ministers are set apart, to pronounce God's blessing, but also, B, Martin Luther's famous answer, someone asked him, Dr. Luther, why do you preach the gospel every week? And he said, because you forget it every week. And that's why we pronounce the benediction every week. Because every week you have things happen in your life to make you forget that you are living under the blessing of God and not the curse. And if we aren't consciously living under the verbal blessing of God, it will have massive implications for our life. We will become pygmies who are in constant need of compliments, constantly in need of attention. We'll be constantly living for approval, constantly analyzing our circumstances, wondering what we've done to deserve the bad things that have happened in our life. And if we don't live under the verbal blessing of God, we won't feel like we can bless others because we can only, in God's economy, you can only give what you first received. So if in God's economy, if you're going to be a blessing to other people, then you need to receive blessing from God. We're all blessed like buckets but we're buckets with holes in them and so we need God to keep filling us up with blessing and blessing and blessing so that we don't run out that's why we need benediction after benediction so I want to talk today uh, to somebody hypothetically not saying it could be you who theoretically knows that they're blessed but doesn't feel it I want to talk to somebody today whose life is out of order because they're looking for blessings in all the wrong places. I want to talk to somebody today who doesn't feel like they have anything by way of blessing to offer to other people. And I want you to learn three things about the blessing of Melchizedek that you can apply to your life. And so we're going to look, have three points. I want you to see that this blessing of Melchizedek, A, comes in the context of war. B, that it comes in the presence of competition. And C, that it comes from the Most High God. So number one, this blessing comes in the context of war. We didn't read the entire chapter uh, for the sake of time, but Abram has literally been through a war in this passage. Five kings or chieftains, you might say these were not giant kingdoms. This is like not the United States versus Russia or something like this. These are small villages who have chieftains or kings, uh, have been duking it out, and as a result, Sodom has been plundered. And Abram's nephew, who lived in Sodom, has been taken as a prisoner of war. He's been taken as plunder of war. So Abram rallies a little over 300 men, his servants and whoever he can find, and he makes a makeshift army out of them, and he goes and starts attacking these kings by, at night in order to rescue his nephew. And in the process, he not only rescues Lot, but rescues all sorts of people from Sodom and all sorts of loot that he can now bring back with him. So verse 6, earlier in the passage, the part we didn't read, it says, Then Abram brought back all the possessions and also brought back his kinsman Lot with his possessions and the women and the people. And after his return from the defeat of Cador Laomer and the kings who were with him, 
I'm in verse 16, I realize, not verse 6. The king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shabbat, that is, the king's valley. So who knows at this point what Abram thinks is going to happen. He's about to have a showdown with the king of Sodom. This could be a battle for all he knows. The king of Sodom could attack Abram to take back the possessions that Abram has taken from these other kings in these other countries. But then another king shows up, Melchizedek, who's called king of Salem. Uh, Salem means it's from Shalom. It means peace. It's a precursor to it's the very land that Jerusalem would inhabit years later. And he just shows up. He just shows up. Hebrews says no genealogy, no backstory. He just shows up with his hands lifted in blessing. And so remember, Abram's been at war. His life has not been easy to this point. His life since he met God has not been easy to this point. He is old. He has traveled thousands of miles to get to the promised land. His parents have died. He's been through a famine and had to leave the promised land to go to Egypt. While in Egypt, the Pharaoh has taken his wife captive to become a member of his harem. Of course, she's been set free. But Sarai still hasn't given birth to the son that God promised them. His beloved nephew Lot has been taken captive by a foreign, foreign army. And now Abram's been through a war. He's blessed, right? How could you not say he's blessed? Life has been so easy for him. Yeah, you know, I remember one year around Easter, had a church member who uh, I loved dearly, and, uh, but she had been very stressed out with household duties and also with church duties. She was very active in the church. And, uh, and there was a Sunday morning where I, I knew she was stressed out, I, I could tell. And she came storming in to the fellowship hall with a card in her hand. And that card said, you're too blessed to be stressed. She did not take kindly to the fact that someone had placed that card on her windshield. And she, wanted, she came to me with her theories about who might have done such a thing. Because she thought it was an attack on the fact that she was known to get stressed out from, from time to time. And I just said, I have no idea who did it. No theories who did it. I saw nothing. I know nothing. And some of you are thinking it was me. It was not me. <laughs> A few days later, she found out who it was. Uh, there were some local kids at a school who had a project that for the week of Easter that they were to try to brighten people's days, and so they went around placing these little cards on people's windshields with inspirational sayings like, you're too blessed to be stressed. And uh, anyway, I asked her, I asked this lady, I said, um, we over it now, no more theories, settled. And she said, yeah, I feel like an idiot, and uh, I do realize I am really blessed. So it ended up being a good reminder. But see, the thing is, in the moment, when you're stressed, when you've been through a war, when you're facing trouble, it's easy to say, clearly God's forgotten about me. Clearly God is not blessing me. And that's why we need the bread and the wine of communion with God. We need to hear that God is blessing us because we forget it. We need to hear it again. So that leads to our second point. This, first, this blessing comes in the context of war. Second, this blessing comes in the presence of competition. God pronouncing his blessing through Ab to Abram not only happens after a battle, it happens as the king of Sodom is about to offer Abram Treasure. Take all the possessions that you've plundered. They're all yours. But the text tells us that Abram had made a vow. He was not going to take anything from these foreign kings because he didn't want any of them to be able to say they made him rich. He wanted it to be evident that everything he had ultimately came from God. Abram had a choice. Believe that God was blessing him and was going to bless him. And trust God. Or break his own vow that he wouldn't take anything from godless Sodom. And see, the danger that we face, that you face, if you're in a situation when you've just been through a war and you don't feel like God is blessing you, you're going to be tempted 
to reach for blessing in other places. When you feel like you're falling, you're going to reach for something to hold you up. There are always competing blessings vying for your attention in life. You could go a number of ways to illustrate that, but again, I, I knew a man who had lost his father in a tragic accident way younger than you would expect someone to die. And this, uh, his son resorted to drinking, and this was, uh, he told me, uh, gallons of whiskey a week to cope with his father's death. And his wife came to me and said, I think we're going to leave, but we're fighting not to leave. And anyway, this man came to me to tell me something that had happened to him that had really impacted him, the man who'd been drinking. He had passed out in a stupor, and his daughters hijacked his phone. And they, put the pass, they knew the password, and they got into his phone, and they made a video that was awaiting their dad when he woke up that said, Dad, Mom is going to leave, and you're going to lose us. We need you. And I mean, you can imagine how he crumbled. And he came to me saying he wanted to change. The thing is, when we don't feel like God is blessing us, when we're going through the battles of life, we're always going to reach for something to bless us. Even if it's a, if it's a benediction from a bottle. You know, that, that old Oak Ridge boy said that talked about the late night benediction at the Y'all Come Back Saloon. Like, yeah, bless me, something. I need something to bless me. Albert Tate says we have deep longings and shallow reachings. I'm longing for rest, so I reach for sleeping pills. I'm longing for comfort, so I reach for comfort food. I'm longing to be complimented, so I reach for a new pair of shoes. I'm longing for love, so I reach for any person who might potentially give me love, even if I know they're not the right person. I'm longing to feel satisfied, so I reach for possession after possession after possession, just hoping something will fill up this aching void in my soul. That's why St. Augustine said, our hearts are restless until we find rest in God. We have deep longings and shallow reachings because we forget that God's benediction, God saying, well done, good and faithful servant, God saying you are blessed, is the greatest reward we can have on this earth. That's why we need to hear it week after week after week. So what's so special about this benediction? This leads to point three. It's where it comes from. It comes from God Most High. It's fitting that Melchizedek calls God the Most High God. And Abraham, or Abram, echoes that because if you're climbing up the ladder looking for blessing this phrase this name God most high is telling us the ladder stops with God it does not get any higher there is no higher person to be blessed by we spend so much of our time looking for people to bless us looking for people high on the ladder to bless us you know one of the major themes of Genesis is needing the blessing of a father. Jacob and Esau are going to compete for Isaac's blessing. Jacob's sons are fighting with Joseph for Jacob's blessing. Sometimes as we climb the ladder looking for blessing, we think the top four is a father or, you know, or a boss, someone that we, we deeply respect. Peggy Drexler, who's a psychologist, came across this stat recently in a, listening to Louis Giglio talk, and this is just amazing. She did research, extensive interviews with 75 very high-achieving women in the corporate world, independent women, and this is what she said. I knew that I would find a powerful connection between them and the first men in their lives. Many other studies have confirmed it. What surprised me was how deep and surprisingly traditional the bond is how powerful it remains throughout their lives, and how resilient it can be even when a father has caused it grievous harm. No matter how successful their careers, how happy their marriages, or how fulfilling their lives, 
Women told me, key phrase, that their happiness passed through a filter of their father's reactions. Many told me that they tried to remove that filter and much to their surprise, failed. When I heard that, it convicted me in two ways. First is, I'm a father, and I, and I have daughters. And so I thought to myself, these girls, young women, are going to filter their happiness through my response to their happiness for the rest of their lives. When they come home, you know, they come to visit and say, Dad, I got a promotion. Or, Dad, I, you know, whatever. I got engaged. Hopefully the husband would come to me before that happened. But regardless. <laughs> if I respond with, I don't, congratulations. That experience is going to be tainted for them because they're filtering it through their father's response. If Dad smiles, all is well. And see, these women in the study, they couldn't shake that. But it's also convicting because I, it made me realize, even more importantly in some ways, that I and you should filter our lives and all our accomplishments through our Father's disposition toward us. And I mean our Heavenly Father. We need to hear the benediction week after week because that is God smiling at you. That's why it says, the, the, the number six benediction says, the Lord lift his face, his countenance. It's him smiling at us. He's telling us, you have my smile. You have the Father's benediction. You have the Father's blessing. Ending the Drexler quote, Peggy Drexler says, we know that fathers play a key role in the development and choices of their daughters, but even for women whose fathers had been neglectful or abusive, I found a hunger for their approval. They wanted a warm relationship with men who did not deserve any relationship at all. Again, don't get the blessing where it should come from. You'll go everywhere else looking for it where it shouldn't come from. If they couldn't get dad's blessing, they would seek out blessing in all the wrong places. There's another, uh, there's a short story by Ernest Hemingway called The Capital of the World. I'm going to read a little section from you. He says, Madrid, Madrid is full of boys named Paco which is the diminutive of the name Francisco. And there's a Madrid joke about a father who came to, Ma came to Madrid and inserted an advertisement in the personal columns of the newspaper, which said, Paco, meet me at Hotel Montana, noon Tuesday. All is forgiven, Papa. And then how a squadron of policemen had to be called out to the Hotel Montana, to disperse the 800 young men who answered the advertisement. Point simple. All these young men were aching for the blessing of their father. Just to hear, all is forgiven. That was the ultimate blessing. Number six, in the definitive benediction of the Bible. Number six, 23 and following. God says, speak to Aaron and his son, saying... Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name on the people of Israel. And I will bless them. I love that phrase. This is how God puts his name on his people. What does that mean? The best analogy I've been able to come up with is think about capitalism. Think about our society. Everything, every company wants to put its name on you. They want their name on that tag inside your shirt, that logo on your shoes, that logo on the front of your shirt. They, they want to put their name on you. And God says, no, I want to put my name on you. You belong to me. You're my child. Do you understand? And do you understand the cost of that benediction? The cost of God putting his name on you and calling you Christians? The reason we need to be convinced that God is going to bless us is because we know deep down that sin has put this creation under a curse. We're never going to be fully blessed until that curse is gone. We're buckets with holes in them. But that's why Jesus came on the cross to take the wrath and curse of God upon himself in our place. On that day, instead of the Lord bless you and keep you, 
Jesus got the Lord curse you and forsake you and scowl upon you and turn his face away from you and, and rob you of all the peace that you deserve. And he did that. So the peace that he deserved, we could have. He lost the smile of the Father so that we could gain the smile of the Father. When I pronounce the benediction at the end of this service, it's not a prayer. It's not wishful thinking. It is a statement of fact. You, if you are a Christian, live under the blessing of God, and he wants you to know it. He wants to remind you. And when the Levitical priests would pronounce the Aaronic benediction of Numbers 6, they would often do it freshly after ha having made sacrifice. Atoning for the sins of God's people or pointing to Jesus who would atone. And they would lift their hands and there would be blood running down those hands. It was a very graphic picture. And I don't have bloody hands. But the benediction ultimately is coming from the one who had na nails driven in his hands for you. It's his word coming through me. It's not ultimately my word. It's not a ritual. It's not a formality. It is powerful. It is real. It is as mysterious as Melchizedek, but it's real. And when you understand that, you'll see that your deepest longings can't be satisfied by your low reachings. That they can only be satisfied by God reaching down low to grab you. That's what fills these empty buckets up. And we need to keep filling up so that we can keep giving out, so that we can be a blessing to others. Abram giving the tithe shows you. The response to God's blessing is, now I'm blessed, I want to give, I want to be generous. God Most High wants you to know that you're blessed. Don't let your circumstances and your low reachings convince you otherwise. And here's the thing, you may forget this. No, you will forget this. You will. So come back tonight. Come back next week, and I'll remind you again. God will remind you again and again and again. Let us pray. Father, it is, we are so tempted so often uh, to feel that you don't care for us. When Scripture says, cast your burdens on the Lord because he cares for you. Lord, may we live not only under the knowledge of your blessing this day, but may it be real in our hearts. And when we hear that word of blessing, that benediction, that good word pronounced today, might we own it and receive it, that because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, though our sins be as scarlet, they are now white as snow. We are children of God, accepted into his family, faultless to stand before the throne through our Savior, the Lord Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together now and sing hymn number 307, which is nothing but the blood, 307.
We ready for it? I'm going to wake you wait just a minute. Um, I used to have a church member who talked about people who did the benediction boogie. It means you get out here fast before it's over with. Why would you ever want to not wait for that blessing? Uh, two things, briefly. On Operation Christmas Child, if you take a box with you, and I encourage you to do so to be a blessing to children who are in need, you can just bring it back to the church next week and place it right back where you got it on one of the tables at the entrances, and Amber and I will take care of getting them uh, where they need to get for transportation. The other thing is um, I will be resuming tonight my series on deal- sermon series on dealing with spiritual slumps. And again, just encourage you, it's the Lord's Day. Let's make the most of it uh, with evening worship if you're able to attend. Now you're going to see me resemble Christ more than you will ever see me resemble Christ. Receive God's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.